continuing to think about our, um, our, our mission statement here, um, Thunderbirds and our go, if, uh, if that were from the Lord is anything to go by. Uh, our mission here, what we're about is to grow mission-minded disciples, disciples who are sent by Jesus, to live for him wherever they are. It's great when we can gather. It's so good to gather here. It's so good to see you. But we're not, we're not called primarily to be together. Jesus' last commandment was go to people groups, to all nations, and uh, make disciples. Live for me, live with me, for them. Wherever you are, your place of work, school gate, the, the gym, or the, the network, the neighborhood, uh, whether it's online or in person, live Jesus, ooze Jesus, leak Jesus in the way that you live and love and think and act and speak. So to that end, Matthew chapter 5 and verses 13 to 15. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Father, make this teaching of Jesus to them there then alive to us here now for your glory. Amen. Amen. Needs to be punchy. I know I've been sitting in a mask. It's not pleasant, so strap in because uh, God's got stuff here for us. First thing is our theology. Before we get to the salt and the light bit, our theology. Can we get our theology straight? Theology, theo, logos, knowledge of God. Let's get our understanding of God right. Um, I, I need both my hands for this. So I'm just going to put the mic down and shout. Someone's given their life on Alpha. Don't need my hands anymore. Someone's given their life on Alpha. Yes, God's won that round. Oh, but someone who went through the recovery courses experienced the relapse. Oh, the devil's won that one. Uh, and we, we kind of see it as a kind of, oh, it's 50-50. It's How will it go? God and the devil. Good versus evil. No. Heresy. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God. What? God created the heavens and the earth, everything. Everything is created by God who is just the eternal being. He, he just was and is and will be. And he creates the heavens, including the angelic realm, the good guys. And 
the fallen guys within the angelic realm, and we know the principle of that posse, Satan, the devil. But, but let's just remind ourselves that the devil and all his sulfurous posse are created beings. They are under God. It is God, then the angelic realm, then the, the world and the earth and, and, and us. It's not a tussle. It's not a 50-50. And when we look at the cross, if you're familiar with your aware or knowledgeable of basic Christian theology, as, as Will said yesterday, Christus Victor, Christ wins at the cross. He has triumphed over all attempts of the evil one to get even. Christus Victor, the lamb, wins. God reigns. It's no contest. It's no contest. Now, look, the enemy's not happy. He, he snipes around. He whispers to us. And yeah, sure, if we, if we allow our experience here on earth to shape our theology, we'll look at the news and go, oh, my goodness, the devil's winning. Look around. The devil's winning. But, that, but that's a, to allow our finite, limited, and, and uh, blinkered human experience to shape our knowledge of God. That's why, that's why you've you got to take this thing seriously. Read it, imbibe it let, it, let it soak through you. If you just read the first 10 words, that'll do. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Go figure. <laughs> so, so that is our theology. Now, in that, in that context, Jesus, who's described as the, as the logos of God, of God, the, the kind of word of God in John, Jesus comes and speaks this word of God on this mountainside to a whole load of people. Interesting, reflecting last week, was it last week or the week before, um, that the disciples came to Jesus and worshipped him, but some doubted. In other words, in their worship, they still had questions. And Jesus still receives them. He draws near to them. And here, there's a whole load of people on a mountainside. I don't think, I don't know whether they'd gone through BAP, whether they were the bishop's advisory panel, whether they'd been sort of tested by the church of the day to see if they were kosher and sound. I, I, there's no record of that. I doubt many of them were. There's a group of people, interestingly, God and his, because he's ruler of heaven and earth, he can take these risks. He just says to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The tense is significant rather the mood, I should say, of the verb. It's indicative, which is the describing mood of the verb. It's not subjunctive for the linguist, based on condition. You could be, you might be. If you carry on, you will be. It's, it's not that, it's you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Light. By the way, these are brilliant metaphors. Two millennia, all the kind of, think of all the literature, all the thinking, all the discovery. Here we are in our sophisticated 21st century world. I can't think of two better metaphors that, that, that go alongside each other and that, that draw out exactly what Jesus wants to say to us today. To encourage us, to empower us and to release us. Can, can I start with light, given that I've kind of talked about the heavens and the earth? This is the very first thing God says, Genesis 1 verse 3, let there be light. That tells us that light is 
a created thing. It, it's, God speaks it intentionally into being. I, I want this thing to exist, light. There's no mention of the creation of darkness. Darkness is literally a no thing. Darkness is just what we call the absence of light. You can measure light. It, it's not in the same way possible to measure darkness other than it is simply the absence of light. Light always conquers darkness. You come into a black, pitch black room, you flick the switch and the light comes on, there's no debate. There's not a kind of half hour period. It's instantaneous. Light comes on, darkness flees. Every bit of darkness for as long as the light has its reach. We become aware of an intensity of darkness and all that does is accentuate light. It, it means that a light shines even more brightly relative to the darkness. That's all darkness does is it points to light. My, my favorite stat, I know I often repeat this, but in pitch blackness, if you light a single candle, its light can be seen by the naked eye seven miles away. Light always conquers darkness. It's not a 50-50. Light always wins. You are the light of the world. I don't know how you're feeling right now. COVID times, confused, discombobulated, uh, concerned, anxious, uncertain, all of that. Me too. And, and in those times when I, I don't know what I can be certain of or sure of, what, what kind of secures me? I don't know about you, but I tend to, okay, I'll just withdraw, I'll come, I'll retreat a bit until I can, until I can hold on to something that I know is certain. I'm certain of this. Light conquers darkness. And I read this, Jesus, the light of the world, saying to us down the ages by his spirit, if he says it to a bunch of people on a hillside, he's speaking to us, irrespective of how you might feel or where you are in the kind of churchy pecking order. You, you may not even know what you think about God himself. You may not even count yourself a Christian believer. Well, well listen to this. Jesus says to you, you are a conqueror, effectively. You are the light of the world. Yes, there's darkness, but you are light. So shine. Shine. I think that means, what does that mean? Shining in my workplace, shining on Thursday afternoon. I think it means you have the freedom. You see, you, it's not a 50-50. It doesn't all depend on you. It's not this sort of fight and, oh gosh, it's close. No, it isn't close. There's no contest. So that gives you the security and the confidence and the strength, ironically, to say, do you know, there are so many things of which I'm unsure. There are so many things that I can't predict. There are so many things I don't know. But of this one thing, I'm sure. In the beginning, God, he created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light. Jesus comes as the light of the world and he calls me to be light. So I can shine. 
I've got the freedom to admit all sorts of weaknesses and things I don't know. I don't have to know everything. I haven't got to sort of have, because the battle is not all down to me. It's already been won on the cross. That gives me the freedom simply to shine in who God has called me to be. Light in that office or in that home or in that street or in that friendship group within my family. Whatever your ethne is, you are the light of the world. Secondly, you are the salt of the earth. I want to just read the, um, bear, uh, the message version of these verses. So it's the same, same verses I've just read, but it's in the message. I just think um, he's nailed it here in this kind of modern translation. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt, seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. He's American. Here's another way to put it. You're you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've got you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. You're the, you're the salt of the earth. You, you know how salt works. You, you put it into a little bit of food and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make the... Well, we say, we say something, oh, it's, it makes it salty, but it, ideally it shouldn't. What it should do, if we put enough in... It doesn't impose its flavor or its taste on the food. It draws out the flavor. Salt, it, salt draws out. It engages with the food stuff. It, you can't do it in the, if you keep it in the salt cellar, eventually it dries up and as Jesus said, it's no good for anything. It, it kind of loses its impact and you throw it out. Salt is to engage. We are called, you are salt of the earth. We are called to engage. Not to avoid, not to stand around the edges, to get in there. That's why this is wonderful to me, but it isn't primarily what Christians are about, all to just be in this salt shaker. God God kind of picks up this old church building and shakes it around London. (laughs) And out we scatter to engage. And, And as we engage, to draw out the flavor. It's it's locked into people. People you, you know this because you know it of yourself and it's true of all the colleagues in the masks and the shields they put up it's true of your family and your friends of everyone who seems far away from God but they have desire they have longing they, they want to know they, they count and they matter they, they want to feel safe every single one of us it's a, it's a primal subliminal need that we, we can't do anything about it's there and as we engage with that longing and that need, as we meet it and introduce people, maybe through just discreet questioning, we introduce them to who, who the God who made them is. They find the possibility for, for security, a satisfaction to that desire. Salt 
draws it out. Salt heals. In the olden days, you put salt on a wound, and it, yeah, it stung for a bit, but immediately it was, it was drawing out the, 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 the dirt or the, the infection. It was, it was catalyzing healing. You know the old thing with you pour, drop a glass of red wine on, on, a, on a carpet, particularly a light carpet. You, you know, don't you? Don't, don't, oh my goodness, don't get a wet cloth and, and start. You'll, you'll only rub it in. You, you know, you just, ooh, quick. And you just get as much salt as you can and you just pour salt over the whole stain. Yeah? You're looking at me, it's like this is new. Surely you've, you've done this. Your parents' house, you had a party. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, now the nods are coming. <laughs> So you pour the salt, and what the salt does is it engages with the red wine, and it draws out, it, draw, it, it reacts and draws out the wine so that hopefully there isn't a stain by the time mum and dad come home. That's what we're called to do, to, 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 to bring out healing, to bring out restoration, to, to bring out flavor. Because, just to marry the two, your, your light. Darkness will always flee when we bring light. But, and just back to the 50-50 thing. Because, you, know, you see, this dodgy theology shakes and it, and it robs us of confidence because we think, oh my goodness, I've got to go into that office or into that place of work and I've got to be sold. Oh my goodness. And we're thinking 50-50. But, but this morning, I, we had a little illustration with, uh, um, these are, what are they, salt and shake potato crisps. And I just got some of our younger members of the church um, this morning and I asked them to open up these crisps and they're just, all they are is just slices of potato and they're inside there's a little, hang on there's a little thing of salt now that bag, I got them to, how, how heavy is the bag? There's 24 grams of crisp. And I got them to, I didn't have that. I said, um, so how much salt do you think it'll need to make those bland potato wedges kind of taste? And I had three things, um, three little um, glasses of salt that I p- poured out. 12 grams, 6 grams, and 2.4 grams. In other words, 50%, 25%, and 10% of the crisps. It was, oh, it was just a preacher's dream because the, the kids went for the big one. <laughs> yes. And so she poured 12 grams of salt into the, shook them up, and I said, okay, have a taste, thinking you're going to puke up. <laughs> Fortunately, I said, how was that? Again, perfect answer. Oh, completely unprompted. It's always risky, but love it. She said, doesn't taste so good. <laughs> right, just think about this for a minute. 50%, just 50% of the crisp content was salt, and it, it ruined the taste. Same with the 12%. Even actually, well, he was kind of toughing it out as a guy, and he toughed it out. He said, no, they're all right. But I bet they were too salty. Um, this little sachet, I felt really bad. I was sort of waving this around, thinking, I suddenly caught myself thinking, this looks like a condom. <laughs> Family service. But anyway, this is the sachet of salt. On the packet there, it tells you how much this weighs. Anyone want to hazard a guess? You're, actually, you're not allowed to shout out, are you? Sorry. Uh, think it, and I'll see if I can get subliminal thoughts going. Go your hands. Go, what's that? 7. 7. 7.7. You're so close, Joe Coleman. 0.6. 0.6. Hey, what, the, the manufacturers, Walkers, the man, they've 
they, they do their marketing, they, they do their research. They know exactly how much salt it needs, not too much. And they know that 0.6 of a gram for 24 grams, that is, if you can do the maths, took me a while, but I got there, 2.5%. Walkers are saying, for salt to have its optimal effect, you just need to be 2.5% of the whole. Now, now you do the maths when you think about being salt. You don't, like we think about revival, and we, we think, oh, well if there's this many non-Christians, we need this many Christians in order to inch forward in the kingdom. No. Studies say that you just need 17% to change a culture in, in, a, in an office, or a boardroom, or in a charity. You, we, in order to see change, you only need to impact and influence 17% of someone in a conversation. 83% of their mind and worldview could stay fixed, but you will bring change if you influence 17%. If you're just a little bit of salt engaging in their world, drawing out the flavor. It's not, so it's not kind of, look, we've got these, these flyers out, uh, oops, on, um, caught it, yeah, uh, on Alpha. And it, it, it may be appropriate if you say, hey, I wonder if you thought about doing this course and just offer that. But that may be too much salt for some people. They're, they're not there. That will go to. But maybe it's just a question. Can I ask? I'm making a coffee, queuing for the bus. Can I ask? What brings you hope at the moment? Because you see, you are the light of the world and you're the salt of the earth, so you know what brings you hope. Just the very fact that Jesus, even though you don't qualify, calls you light and salt. And, and you, you ask that question, it's an open question. What kind of things bring you joy? How do you find security in, in this uncertain time? I'm feeling really edgy, really uncertain. But you, you, you've got an answer you, you can begin to give if a conversation arises. That's just being salty. A little bit of salt drawing out the flavor in that conversation. Jesus asks us to follow him. He's been salt, salt of the earth. He, he died and was buried in the earth. He engaged. It is finished, he says, the ultimate act of transformation. Jesus is salt, and then God raises him to brand new life, light, defeating death, the last enemy, forever vanquished. There's no, it's irreversible. There's no going back from resurrection. In Jesus' death and resurrection, he is salt, he is light. He calls us to be salt and light as we follow him. We live for him wherever we are. Amen. Amen. I'll clear up this little desecration of the table, Will. No worries, Tim. I think we'll serve communion with Chris.